You are listening to a podcast from West Hill United Church located in Scarborough, Ontario, Canada. These podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our listeners, volunteers, and members of our community. To donate, go to our website, www.westhill.net, and click on the Canada Helps button, or go to www.westhill.net forward slash donate. Good morning, everyone. Isn't it nice to be in here on the kind of day that we're having outside? But it's also be nice to be in here on any kind of day that we're having outside. So I'd like to welcome all of you. I also found a dime up on the podium this morning, so I don't know whether that's a tip for me or a tip for Greta, but, you know, we could probably share it and make it work. We wish to acknowledge that we are on the territory of the Mississaugas of the New Credit First Nations lands which lands were previously occupied by the Seneca and Huron-Wendat First Nations? I, I, I have a pair of, sock, pair of socks on that, that my wife bought me, and, on, on, and you can see them later, um, but on the socks are written the statement, when in doubt, go to the library. When we talk about being grounded in life, it would be so much easier if we grounded our source of truth in one particular book or one particular person that would just tell us what to believe and what to do and what to, how, how to take a moral stand on what. But when we adventurously branched out to take uh, a stand to be grounded in life itself, then it takes whole libraries and different kinds of libraries to explore and find out what is true right now for us what do we need to be open to and always guided by and what would the loving thing be to do about that new thing we've discovered and growing in wisdom together so i'm just going to play our sharing song and and it just comes to me more more and more it's a big world to be grounded in but other than if, if we're not we're too closed in so we celebrate that as we go into our sharing time Grounded, Guided, Growing, A Time for Centering, from Scott Kearns. I divide my officers into four classes as follows. The clever, the industrious, the lazy, and the stupid. Each officer always possesses two of these qualities. Those who are clever and industrious, I appoint to the general staff. Use can, under under certain circumstances, be made of those who are stupid and lazy. The man who is clever and lazy qualifies for the highest leadership posts. He has the requisite nerves and the mental clarity for difficult decisions. But whoever is stupid and industrious must be got rid of, for he is too dangerous. These are in the... Yes, they're in the, they're in the wrong order. 
I'm going to do the Goldie Hawn one next. The lotus is the most beautiful flower whose petals open one by one, but it will only grow in the mud. In order to grow and gain wisdom, first you must have the mud, the obstacles of life and its suffering. The mud speaks of the common ground that humans share, no matter what our stations in life. Whether we have it all or we have nothing, we are faced with the same obstacles. Sadness, loss, sorry, illness, dying, and death. If we are to strive as human beings to gain more wisdom, more kindness, and more compassion, we must have the intent to grow as a lotus and open each petal one by one. Remember, you cannot be both young and wise. Young people who pretend to be wise of the way of the world are just cynics. Cynicism masquerades as wisdom, but it is the furthest thing from it. Because cynics don't learn anything. Because cynicism is a self-imposed blindness, a rejection of the world because we are afraid it will hurt us or disappoint us. Cynics always say no, but saying yes begins things. Saying yes is how things grow. Saying yes leads to knowledge. Yes is for young people. So for as long as you have the strength to, say yes. So our choir will be next. As oh, the choir is for the journey. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Will you do that again? I stepped on your toes. Can we just sit because then we missed that? What were we supposed to say? <laughs> Offered us wisdom for the journey. Maybe we walk in its light. Focused moments from Greta Bosper. <clears throat> you could keep that up a little bit. <laughs> there we go. Uh, just the lines of that song, uh, the end of the third verse. I can hardly sing um, where the past has been lost and the future has yet to be won. Um, always gets me. So thank you for singing that with us. Uh, and it, it uh, invites the focus moment, which is one that comes from my new publication called um, Take a Deep Breath. Uh, it has yet to show up here because I keep forgetting to pick it up from the printers. Um, but this is one that you will have heard before, uh, and, it, and it, it has us recognize that there is lots yet uh, to be won and that we have it within us to do that work. It is not hard to feel small under the maelstrom of a darkened sky. It's turbulent clouds wrestling with invisible forces. The steel shadow of rain grounding the struggle. It is not hard to feel small in the dripping silence of primordial forest. Sounds muffled in the mosses of a hundred, hundred years. Footprints unremembered by the green, resilient folds. It is not hard to feel small standing in the gorge drawn by an ancient river, the power of its water masquerading in the trickle at your feet. 
And it is not hard to feel small amidst the disaster of human history. Bloodied hands raised in rage against our ills and we cowering in fortresses of fear. It's not hard to feel small. The truth, my friend, the dreadful truth is not about your smallness. The dreadful truth is of our greatness. We've shirked it in the past, for we've seen the terrible weight it brings, responsibilities we do not want. You and I would buckle under the burden, but all of us, then perhaps our problems will seem small. Rise up. Rise up. Rise up and stand with one another, shoulder to shoulder against the churning sky. 106 lines of us and counting, wrapping around this blistering earth. Rise up into your greatness. Then, even if we fail, we fly. As many of you know, I base my perspectives on the readings that come uh, out of the lectionary passages for a particular Sunday a year hence, Uh, and I just choose a theme that comes from that, from the stories that are told or the poetry that is included in those readings, and I just lift the theme out and then find readings that bring it to life in our current contemporary culture. Sometimes those readings are fairly recent. Some of them are still ancient but they have meaning for us in our lives. Uh, And then I carry on with that theme. So uh, what happened in uh, the Gospel reading, or what will happen a year from now in the Gospel reading when it's read, um, is that the Pharisees again come to Jesus and try to trick him with a question. And they're very, very clever people. Um, They have very clever ways of addressing him uh, to see if they can like get sort of under that whatever bravado he has under that, that uh, style that attracts so many people under his edges and make, just put a little dent in there somewhere. Um, and he answers them clearly as he did, uh, as he did many times. He just answers them the question. But then he turns around and he asks them a question. And it's, it's a very intelligent question 
But he, he offers it in the same way that they offer theirs, is in this kind of clever, well, yeah, okay, so how about this, right? And they answer it, thinking that they're very clever, and then he, like, takes them down. It's like total takedown. Yeah, but blah, 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 blah. That's it, right? No more Pharisees asking any more questions, and it actually ends saying, and the Pharisees never asked him another question again, Right? So, you know, when we can do that with people, we feel pretty good. They shut up and go away, and we're done here. Except we're not. We never really are, because we have to have those conversations. And it's good to be clever, but we can be caught up in our own cleverness and never get ourselves to a place of wisdom. And so I'm going to use the readings that I've chosen today to introduce that topic that so many of us are challenged about uh, from this place and in, and in our lives, the, the challenges of both who we are and what it is we do here, which is always a challenge. Um, take tips from Mel, because Mel always gets into those conversations and does it with grace. So I'm not going to talk about that so much, because we already have someone who can teach that beautifully in the congregation. But also uh, the urgent issues of, of climate change and the, the challenges that our uh, affluent society uh, place on our own shoulders as burdens that we would like to think that just because we know the way to go through this and what we should do, that we shouldn't have to be burdened with that societal uh, responsibility, but we are. So how do we have those conversations with people? How do we get past the clever into the wisdom uh, and share appropriately with people that we're in conversations with? And it depends on who the person is, right? Uh, if it's someone that you are related to and you're going to have to be at the same table with them over and 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 over again. You either decide not to be at the table with them over again or you decide to be quiet and not actually raise the issue. And that happens to all of us, as I know. But out there, when we're just doing the things that we're doing, we bump up against people that we have the opportunity to talk to. And sometimes we can bring the information that we have, which is very, very clever, and try it out on them. And you may be able to win them over through some clever little quip, but you may have to end up in a deeper conversation and figure out some ways to do that. So the first reading is from Kurt von Hammerstein Accord, a general in Hitler's army. And you may wonder why I would pick a reading from a a general in the German army uh, from 1943. Uh, and the reason I did is because he objected to Nazism through his entire uh, career and refused to participate uh, in some of the things that Hitler was making happen across Europe at that time uh, in the years leading up to the, the Second World War as well as throughout the war. In 1943, uh, uh, thing on his face, which he had ignored for some years, was diagnosed as a malignant tumor, and he spent the next uh, several weeks in, in ex- extreme pain uh, after a not very well done medical procedure, and died uh, in 1943. And he had, because he was a general, he had the privilege of being buried in the equivalent of Arlington, or the Ottawa Cemetery, uh, where members of the military could be buried. But his family declined it because it would have meant that the casket needed to be draped with a, with a Nazi flag. And they refused to allow that to happen. And so he was buried in the family plot. And so he's, I include him because he's, uh, he was a gift in a place uh, of very uh, dark trouble 
at the time. So I made a little graph for myself, you know, okay, so here's industrious and here's lazy and here's clever and here's stupid. And I sort of charted out where he put things. And some of you will know uh, the kinds of people. You will have worked with people who are like this before. Um, the ones that I find the most uh, captivating are the ones that are really, really industrious and really, really stupid um, because they can wreck all kinds of havoc, right? It's, it's like, what direction do I head off in? And I'll do that thing, but they don't know that's the wrong direction, and they've got that half finished before you can pull them over to what actually needs attention. Uh, so it was interesting that he kind of um, realized or named right there in his strategy for appointing people within the armed forces under his command, uh, if they were really, really industrious and stupid, find some way to get them out of here, right? I don't want them in my face. But the, ones that, the other ones that I found interesting were the clever, the clever who were industrious, who became the general workers, and the clever who were lazy, who became the leaders, which seemed kind of backwards, right? You'd think that you'd want the leaders to actually be people who really got things done, right? Nope. The leaders, the ones that were lazy, were happy to sit behind a desk and think things through, right? And if they thought things through, they could make better decisions. So he put them as the, as the leadership uh, in his, in his uh, field, in his group. And the, but I, I, as I was looking at it and trying to draw my own little words in there, I thought about the Peter Principle. The Peter Principle, if you don't know, is, is the, the general law or assumption, but pretty much proven, that people working in a large corporation or in the government or in, you know, the charitable sector, uh, wherever they are working, um, will be promoted. Uh, you know, if they do, ah, oh, you're working really, really well, I'm going to promote you. Okay, great. I'm going to promote you. Yeah, great. Yeah, great. Oh, and you're going to go up again. Yeah. And then eventually they get that last promotion and it's the place where they are totally unable to do anything. They're inept. Uh, they can't function. And so that's, where they stay. And von, whatever his name is, Hammerstein Aquad, sorry, um, he, his thing sort of eliminates that. Because you think of those people who are really industrious, and you just keep them there as the general staff because they're doing stuff, and they don't get up to the point where they are leaders who are industrious, who actually spend a whole lot of time getting in the way, right? They micromanage. They do your stuff for you. They don't back off and just let you do your job. So he keeps them down there in the general staff and lets those lazy people take all the leadership stuff. And I think he has an answer to the Peter Principle. No one would be promoted to their uh, ignorance. But when I redid this um, uh, chart, I changed, I changed the words, right, on the chart. So we had, and because I'm talking about things like uh, the concerns around who we are as a congregation in the denomination or how we deal with um, climate change or whatever area of social uh, engagement you're involved in, uh, in terms of rights or justice or anything like that. Um, there are people who are informed and people who are uninformed. And if you are one of those who is informed and acting on that understanding. You want to be able to make change, and you want to be able to invite others to understand what it is that you are doing and why you're doing it, and to invite them to participate as well. So, um, But you're going to run into people who, who 
know things and people who don't know things, right? So how you interact with them will uh, allow them, provide them the space to come into your perception of the world a little bit. So if you run into people who are uninformed, um, I'm who are informed, you just engage them in the ways that you can. Um, if they're, but then the two kinds of people that I put down are the doers and the knowers. And I kind of split the general staff up like that so that the general staff are the people who are doing things, the industrious people. They like to do things. They don't really want to be the wisdom behind the story. They want to be out there fixing things. And it's the difference between, the, he called it lazy. I don't call it lazy. I call it um, the knowers the ones who have the gift for seeing the whole picture and sharing it. So if you come across and you say, you're, um, say your, your issue is universal child care and you're at a bridge party and you're talking to people and, and someone says something about universal child care because they're introducing you to someone who knows nothing about it and you get to talk to them. So how, you know, how, what do you say to them? If there are people who are doers, they're uninformed, but they're people who do things, then you could explain to them a little bit about the things that are done around universal child care. And if they're the knowers, uh, then you can actually give them some of the underground information about it. And if we want to go to climate change, you've got the people who are informed and the people who are uninformed and the people who are informed. You give them more how-tos, right? These are little tips. The climate moments that we had last year, these are little tips that you can do, and those are probably more influential, those climate moments, than me railing about the thing for the last six years, right? Because Deb was telling you things to do that you could do, which made it accessible. It made it relate to you, right? So you share how to do things, and that makes a little bit of a difference. And if you're with someone who is informed and is a knower, then you can get into those deeper conversations with them and broaden the base of both of your knowledge. Um, Goldie Hawn's reading, she talks about the lotus flower, which is uh, often considered a, a flower of peace, a symbol of uh, meditation. There's a, a, a glass uh, piece on the wall in this room that used to be out in the window that uh, my former father-in-law made of a lotus flower. And she, she draws us to its beauty, but she reminds us that it grows in mud, Right? It has to be rooted in mud. No mud, no beauty. Right? I know some people who actually live that to the max. But, um, but the lotus flower grows in that density of mud. And I thought of that as our common denominator. What is the common denominator that we all have when we come into this world? How do we come into this world? We come in to this world in a rush of water. We talk about water here as our common denominator. But we come uh, with no skills. We are totally, we have no skills. We don't know really anything. We come almost entirely ignorant, right? But we all have the same thing that every living thing on this planet has when it comes into being, and that is the desire to live. It's this, this impulse toward life uh, is how Albert Schweitzer spoke of it. And we have no choice about those self-preservation instincts. We can, we can remain ignorant um, if we're not provided information that will help us become 
more knowledgeable. We can choose uh, to be ignorant in certain sectors of our lives if we want to be, but we can't really rid ourselves of those self-preservation instincts. So as we age, we, we put in place things that actually can bar us from uh, knowledge because we're trying to take care of ourselves so much. So we can completely have a complete blind spot to something that's going on in our world, in our community, or even in our relationship. Uh, you can be totally blind to what's going on in your relationship. If it's so threatening, it's going to threaten your survival, your relationship. So, you know, there's lots of stuff that comes about when suddenly someone sees, oh my gosh, how long has that been going on? Had no idea. Oh my goodness, we're a year from retirement. We have no money. No idea. You know, we, we, we blind ourselves to the realities that way. So I'm going to take that little piece into the Stephen Colbert reading. Now, Colbert is actually talking to young people here with this reading. And he's telling them that how, how easy it is to slide into cynicism. It's so easy to be the one with the clever answers and the cynical response. You have lots of sort of surface-level information. Uh, any of you have children that do that? Oh, my God. It almost kills you, doesn't it? They have an answer to everything. And because you don't actually have an answer back, because you're not Jesus, uh, you don't have an answer back. You just, you just have nothing to say, right? You can inform yourself and shoot barbs back and forth if you want, um, but often it doesn't go any further than their little, you know, response to you, which shut you down. Uh, and he says that, that cynics are, are the people who uh, have, have no depth of information. They, aren't, they don't learn. They're not learning. They've just captured little bits and pieces that they can throw back at you, right? And so they rule the space because they seem to know so much, but they haven't learned anything behind it. They haven't become a knower, right? They're just a doer when it comes in to the action. But when you think about it, and when you think about this thing that I had here, this wall, young people have the, have the most to be afraid of. As we age, we sort of get less afraid of, of you know, what's going to happen uh, next week or next month. We, we tend to have laid paths out that keep us fairly uh, carefully protected, right? Young people have a lot to be afraid of, and so the cynicism kind of masks uh, what's going on in their lives and their fear. So what is the hardest thing? Or, yeah, sorry. The easiest thing to do um, in a... There's easy things to do in two different kinds of crises. In a fast crisis, like you know, the building is on fire, uh, what kicks in? Your self-preservation instinct, right? First thing that kicks in, right? I got, I got to get out of here, right? Some of us, if we're with our children, we might actually save them first. Um, you know, if a car is barreling towards you, you might push them out of the way and then run the other way to so get out of the way of the, of the car. Um, but our self-preservation skills come in instinctually in a fast crisis. In a slow crisis, they don't kick in so well, right? We just don't, we don't really 
know what's going to happen. And so we become inured to that crisis. Uh, We can close ourselves off from what is happening. We can pretend it's not there. We can completely ignore it. And this is where our return to ignorance. We come into this world ignorant and with self-preservation skills. And when that crisis is slow and threatening, instead of finding our way toward more understanding uh, and, and building our understanding, which makes us more and more frightened, usually, we tend toward our primal instinct, our primal um, being, which is ignorance. So what do we do about that uh, reality? What do we do when we are the people who are trying to share information, uh, where we have an audience that may or may not be receptive to what it is that we're sharing, uh, when we're talking uh, with, when we're caring for ourselves in the midst of a slow crisis, and where we're talking to others about a slow crisis, how do we get to those basics, their basics, and invite them to come along with us as far as we have been able to go? And some of us have not been able to go as far as others have. Um, when we had, when we had um, Michael Dowd here, he was way further open in his understanding and his lack of... Uh, self-preservation skills, um, that he blew a lot of us completely away uh, with, the, with the gravity of the situation and the, and the clarity of the picture that he drew for us. Um, and we don't want to be that. We don't want to do that to people. We want to be able to have those conversations. So whether it's about um, universal daycare or whether it's about climate change or whether it's about... Um, things that are happening in the neighborhood that need to be addressed uh, by not just, you know, government officials, but the community itself. Uh, how do we go about doing those things? And, and I'm talking about self, others, and the planet, of course, the way that we address uh, the world that we engage in. Um, when we're talking with ourselves, we, we remind ourselves that our first instinct in a slow crisis is self-preservation. And then we try to find our way beyond that self preservation. We inch our way forward in terms of information. We become the doers. We don't have to know everything, but let me do this little bit. And I've become like the princess of do this little bit bit lately, Um, beginning with being on leave last year, uh, when I had to find ways to care for myself, despite the challenges that that were facing me on several fronts. How would I get through that time. And I put little things in place, just little things. I became a doer of little things. And those things I still do now. I have little charts, so I check them off. Oh, that's why I'm feeling better. I've done that. Oh, I feel better. I feel better already. Little things. Um, But we can become doers and, and modulate our own mental and emotional health, which is seriously important uh, in a time of slow crisis. So we modulate our own mental and emotional health. And we also um, keep doing that thing about not being ignorant. We learn a little bit, and then we modulate our emotional and mental health. When it comes to others, we want to recognize that they too have that wall 
that they don't really want to come tumbling down so that they can see the vast you know, landscape of disaster that may lie behind it, beyond it. Uh, you might take a brick out at a time and then help them modulate their emotional and mental health, right? Help them, tell them what it is that you have to do to be able to know that information. What do, what do I have to do in order to stay well in the face of that? A slow crisis is a slow crisis. And if we don't help one another see our way and care for our way through it, we'll never be able to respond to it. It's not like running from a burning building. It's like living in a world that is changing in ways that may be destructive to all life on the planet. So we, we go one step at a time. We learn one thing at a time. We've put one thing in place that helps, helps hold our hearts and our relationships in the midst of that, and then we go forward. Some of the challenge happens when we have to do that piece of projecting our care beyond our immediate friends and family, uh, beyond the people that we know and meet, uh, beyond into a world of people we will never meet and generations we will never know. And the crisis is slow enough that many of us may not be here when it hits its biggest uh, destructive force. So we have to periodically dip into the reality that that might be in order to remind us that the work is still important to do. And whether it's universal daycare or whether it's climate change and climate crisis, uh, we have to steal ourselves for that work and do that work anyway. The focus moment reminds us that we on this world, on this planet, we are very, very small. But the work that we have to do is very, very large. It will be composed of tiny, tiny little actions. It will be composed of bite-sized pieces of information. But when we bring those, that information and those actions and our will and the many together, we can be the force that actually takes care of those generations we will never see. And even if we fail, we will know that we, personally, individually, have held our hearts in such a way that they were able to strengthen us enough that we could do all that we could do. Our self-preservation instincts are large. Our desire for ignorance is like a down-filled pillow under our heads. But let us be honest with one another and let us find our way toward that incredibly deep and broad and rich piece of work that we can do together. Thank you.
Rise up. <laughs> I don't say that every Sunday for you people who are here for the first time. <laughs> Uh, but rise up. Rise up in your heart. Rise up in your understanding. Rise up in the work that you have to do on the relationships that you have. Just that single closest relationship. Rise up in that. Rise up in your families. Rise up in your communities. Rise up in the world like you were born to do, as were we all. And may we capture the moment that is ours and make it a moment filled with light and encouragement and love and responsibility. Make it rise up in a way that pulls all of us forward with all that is important to us and all that will be important long before our feet no longer tread this earth. Go from this place in peace. Let me now center on all that is good, on all that we know is uh, not a lot. I wish I could. So we may nurture each other with the richness of truth, restoring our souls for the journey. You have been listening to a podcast from West Hill United Church located in Scarborough, Ontario, Canada. These podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our listeners, volunteers, and members of our community. To donate, go to our website, www.westhill.net, and click on the Canada Helps button, or go to www.westhill.net forward slash donate.